Well, I usually pray before um, I start, and I just think Thane's prayer was so beautiful that I'm just going to say amen and leave it at that. <laughs> well, you know, I like to ask questions. Actually, this isn't on my notes, but when I was little, I asked so many questions that my mom got tired of it and bought me a book of questions and answers and said, go go look it up yourself. But I like to ask questions. I can't help it. That's how God made me. So I have a question to start us off with. Have you ever taken a step back and thought about the people that God has used in your life to get you where you are today? Have you ever made a list of those people? Well, I have, and mine goes something like this. Jill kept faithfully inviting me to youth group until my no became a yes. Elizabeth taught me to study the Bible and that it didn't have to be boring to do it. Jana and Beth taught me how to pray and that it could actually be enjoyable as well. Carol and Phyllis poured their life and their faith into me, and they modeled Jesus for me. Mitch trusted me to lead in the church, and he shared power and position with me. Lisa invited me into her home and family, and she showed me what they can look like in Jesus' hands. Brad saw and spoke God's call over my life and gently pushed me towards it. Tim spoke hard truth to me in love while simultaneously being my biggest cheerleader. Rosemary and Adriana helped me walk back through painful times in my life to apply Jesus' truth and healing to them. Michaela reminded me of the promises that she saw, even when the fog of disappointment and hurt clouded them from my eyes. Beth listened and trusted and supported and championed me. And our own Mike called me up to the major leagues when I was perfectly comfortable in the minors. That list, though long, is certainly not exhaustive. It truly does take a village to support us in our faith. And God longs for us to live in that kind of village. In our passage today, we're going to see some of the village that God used in Paul's life and just how crucial they were, their love, their support, their encouragement in his walk. So let's dive into our scripture for the morning. If you've brought a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to Acts chapter 20. If you don't have one with you, you can grab one from the pew in front of you. And if you don't have one at home, just feel free to take that with you. That's our gift to you. So we're in Acts chapter 20, and we're going to start at verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life as of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus 
to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, Paul, as he describes what he knows awaits him in Jerusalem, says that he is constrained by the Holy Spirit. The word in Greek is deo. The meaning is generally one of binding or of keeping. I love one definition I found, which pictures binding an animal to prevent it from straying. I love this image because it makes me think about taking my dog Bentley on walks. Because I always put a leash on him, not just because it's the law, but also because it's wise. The leash is in no way intended to harm him or to keep him from fun, but rather to keep him out of danger and to keep him on the safe and right path. In the same way, the Spirit was constraining Paul, keeping him on the straight and narrow of God's chosen mission for him. Paul, who had been shipwrecked, who had been beaten and stoned and persecuted, maligned, driven out of towns, falsely accused, Paul knew that a still greater crucible awaited him in Jerusalem. It would be tempting for him to stray from that, right? or maybe even to go the long, picturesque route. Well, I had to go see an eye doctor on Friday for my yearly exam, and I was reminded once again of how sensitive I am when it comes to my eyes. Um, Now, you can see, if you've ever noticed here, a scar on my arm. Broke my arm during a uh, very aggressive game of Capture the Flag. Did not cry one single tear when this happened. But the second the eye doctor blows that air in my eyeballs, I am the biggest baby on the planet, wincing and tearing up and everything under the sun. I always have to apologize profusely to the staff. Though a disproportionate reaction, it's still a normal one, right? We don't like pain or discomfort. In fact, Netflix just put out a new blockbuster miniseries specifically about pain. It is aptly called painkiller. It's about the Purdue Pharma industry making Oxycontin. Why were they able to make billions of dollars off of just one drug in such a short time? Because we humans do not like pain. This should make it even more amazing to us, even more incredible, that Paul, rather than running the opposite direction, allowed himself to be constrained by the Holy Spirit, to be led into certain death and even pain. You can rest assured that he fully understood his assignment. He knew what was waiting for him in Jerusalem. He says in verse 23, the Holy Spirit testifies to me not just once, but in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Imprisonment and afflictions. That's what was waiting for Paul, and yet he still followed. Let's pick back up again in the story in verse 25. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained through his own blood. Paul is stealing himself here 
and not just himself, but also his friends for what lies ahead. He warns them, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Though it may sound harsh to us, we need to remember that Paul's longest ministry assignment was in fact in Ephesus. You remember how long? Three whole years. For three years, who else ministered for three years? Jesus. For three whole years, he had lived among these people. He had eaten dinner with them. He had taken walks with them. He had laughed at jokes with them. He had sung songs with them. And he had grown up with them. These people were not just his congregants. They were also his friends. You can hear the anguish in his voice as he speaks to his friends. It reminds me of another anguished speech, one given in an upper room while bread and wine were being passed around. Do you remember it? We find it in Matthew chapter 26, starting at verse 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take and eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That last line, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. It sounds an awful lot like Paul saying, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Like Paul, Jesus needed the friendship and support of his friends during his last earthly moments. It's why he planned a meal for their last time together. It's why he was so dismayed when they couldn't stay awake to pray with him in the garden. And it's why he was so hurt, knowing how quickly Peter would deny him, even though he had promised to follow Jesus until the very end. As I was reading this passage to prepare, and as I was thinking about this scene and what it must have looked and felt like, it reminded me very much of a scene in the last Harry Potter book. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. In this scene, Harry knows the end is near. He knows that he must sacrifice himself to defeat Lord Voldemort. And so he goes out to the Forbidden Forest. As he stands alone in the forest, he prepares himself for his fate, and he finds himself surrounded by his friends and family. They have come in spirit to encourage and steady him for what he knows he must do. The passage reads like this. A chilly breeze that seemed to emanate from the heart of the forest lifted the hair at Harry's brow. He knew that they would not tell him to go, that it would have to be his own decision. You'll stay with me until the very end, said James. They won't be able to see you, asked Harry. We are part of you, said Sirius, invisible to anyone else. Harry looked at his mother. Stay close to me, he said quietly. And then he set off. And so it was with Paul. These friends couldn't go with him in body, but they went with him in spirit. 
their love, their friendship, their prayers. They bolstered and buoyed Paul as the waves of affliction would soon thrash about him. And the Ephesian leaders, in turn, were also bolstered. Though they would never see Paul's face again in this life, his friendship and ministry would be felt in the way that they lived among and led the people of God. Well, let's finish out this speech of Paul to the leaders. We'll rejoin them in verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are being sanctified. I coveted no one's gold or silver or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. <sighs> this is a hard passage, isn't it? It's very emotional. Uh, we've been on this journey now with Paul for 20 chapters. Um, 20 chapters, but a, a lot of years. It was his, the end of his third missionary journey. And we've seen Paul transform during this time. He started off as a persecutor of Christians, harsh, severe, the Jew of all Jews. And now here he is, kneeling and weeping with his Christian friends. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful passage. Uh, and after first service, uh, someone came and introduced themselves to me as a retired eco-pastor, eco being our denomination, uh, who had been in first service. He said they were just passing through on the way home from vacation. And he said, one little tidbit I want to give you is that the, the word that's used here in Greek to, de to uh, describe this pain that they were feeling, this anguish that they were feeling, in Greek, it's the word that's used for childbirth. Oh, now I see that we have a baby back here in the back, and so you probably are feeling that more, uh, more deeply than any of the rest of us here. But for those of you who have been through childbirth, either as a witness or a participant, uh, you know that it's bittersweet, right? There is a deep pain that's happening, but it must happen. You must go through that deep pain in order to have the joy. That's what's being pictured here. This mix, this beautiful mix of pain and joy, this sorrow that's accompanied by new life. It's a beautiful picture. It's clear and easy for us to see that these men and women, they dearly loved Paul. We hear it in that last sentence. They were sorrowful. 
because they knew that they would never see him again in this life. Now, how many of you, I told you I'm a question asker. You're not going to like this question though. How many of you, if, if you were to tell the people of Bethel Prez that they would never see your face again in this life, would receive this kind of response, would receive weeping. How many people would be heartbroken if you were never to darken the door of this church again? Now, I realize that's a hard word. That's a hard question. And I don't say it to criticize or to make you feel badly, but to ask you in the most loving way possible, how deep are your relationships with your brothers and sisters here? These are the kind of relationships that we are supposed to be having. This is the kind of church that God has told us to build and to be blessed by. Just for fun, earlier this week, thinking about this idea of friendships, I googled the phrase, how to develop true friendships. I was just curious, how is secular advice going to stack up against the Bible? Psychology Today had a great list of 10 ways to make and keep friendships. Number five on that list was this, commit to community. I can't tell you how loudly I shouted amen when I read that. In a world of endless possibilities, where we want to church hop until Jesus comes back again, where we find something wrong with the music choices, the bulletin font, the Bible translation, the sanctuary temperature, and on and on and on. The reason we cannot build deep community is because we will not commit to doing so. I'm going to say that one more time. The reason we cannot build deep community is because we will not commit to doing so. Do you have a small group that you belong to that really knows what's going on in your life, that prays for you regularly, that encourages you during difficult seasons and celebrates life's joys with you? Paul did. He tells us about it in 1 Thessalonians 2.18. He says this, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Did you catch that? Paul wasn't just teaching Sunday school classes. He wasn't just giving sermons or leading session meetings. He wasn't just leading prayer times. He gave of his very own self. His life, his love, his friendship to the people that he served and that he served with. I'm going to take the liberty of speaking for Pastor Mike. As your pastors and leaders, we don't just need your prayers, though we love and covet those. We need your friendship as well. And guess what? You might even need ours in return. When Mike's not leading session meetings or writing uh, scholarly papers for his doctoral degree, he's actually a really fun and funny guy, and he will be the first to tell you this. <laughs> I was on vacation last week, and the friends that I vacationed with will be 
delighted to tell you that when you break out a pack of Dutch Blitz, and that's a game, it's not a pack of cigarettes, okay? When you break out a pack of Dutch Blitz, you're going to see a different side of me. Friends, we are all meant to have this kind of deep communion, these deep friendships, genuine affection for one another. It's not something that's reserved for Paul or for the early church. This is what the church for all time should look like. And it's just a little slice, a little taste of what the church is going to look like for eternity. But we have to commit ourselves to it. It doesn't happen by accident or when we sit in the back, cowering to ourselves, not sharing anything. One of our church leaders asked to meet with me a few weeks ago. This person was going to be leading a discussion time, and they wanted to know if they should share a personal story from their own lives. My answer was, why not? You are modeling the kind of vulnerability and openness that we want to see from our people, that we want our people to practice. And that's what Paul did, didn't he? He modeled that kind of vulnerability and openness. And that is why he had such thick and rich friendships. That's how he got his village. For Paul, Christian community consisted of at least, probably more, but at least these five essential components. So for Paul, Christian community consisted of at least these five essential components. Number one, authenticity. He says, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but also our own selves. Number two, selflessness. He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves knew, know that these hands ministered to my own necessities and those who were with me. He was selfless. Number three, take care, for, true care for one another. He said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all in your flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church. Number four, commitment to one another. For three years, he says, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone. And number five, when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. Authenticity, selflessness, true care for one another, commitment to one another, and praying with and for one another. Now, I have been blessed to build this kind of community in my own life. But it required me to be a participant. I had to give of some own things, some of my own life, some of myself to do that. Go ahead and pull up the pictures, Larissa. Thank you. So I was ordained in 2020, and 2020 was the year of what? COVID. And this was before, um, this was before the vaccines rolled out. Uh, my ordination service was held outside so that we could allow more to participate. But some people were prevented from doing so just because travel still wasn't super easy or safe um, at that time. But I was still amazed, you can roll through them, I was still amazed at how many of my friends drove long distances or came across the city to come and support me. They braved a cold and windy day in November to kneel with me in prayer to commit my life and service to the Lord. 
much like these leaders of Ephesus did for Paul. It takes a village to support us in our faith. So who is in your village? And whose village are you in? You can pull those down now. As we get ready to start a new school year, you know, I'm not in school anymore. I haven't been in school for a very long time, but we still think in those terms, right? As we get ready to start a new school year, as you plan and make commitments about how you're going to spend your time, where you're going to invest, what you're going to participate in, remember these words of Paul. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because why? You had become very dear to us. Friends, this is what I dream and long for Bethel to be known for. Not for us to be the friendliest church in town, but for us to be the church with the truest, deepest, most authentic friendships. A church that loves and serves and celebrates like Paul and like Jesus. But remember what that takes? Commitment. Will you commit to sharing yourself with others freely and fully to growing this kind of community with us? Not just to receive that blessing yourself, but to offer it to a watching world. They need and want, even though they may not realize it, what they need and want most in this life is true gospel community. With Jesus at the center, showing us how to live and love just like he does until the very end. Amen. Well, this morning is Communion Sunday. And so before we do that, I just wanted to um, reread for you that passage that we read earlier where Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples, where he was doing something new, forming a new community with them. And he says this, the word says this, now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he'd given thanks for it, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Friends, receive the benediction of the Lord. You don't have to go out fearful of what lies ahead. You can walk safely constrained by the Holy Spirit in confidence with your head up, knowing you are a child of God and you can proclaim that to everyone who comes across your path and say, guess what? You're invited to become one too. So may you go out this week proudly proclaiming that fact and inviting others to join his family as well. Go in his peace, amen. Mm -hmm.